This is Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles, Episode 17, Chapter 17, Forgiveness and the Holy Relationship. Welcome back. My email is trifectanow3 at gmail.com. If none of this is real, and all of it is simply what we imagine it to be, how hard can it be to dismiss the past and focus on the now? It's extremely hard. We have not woken up and the dream is so real to us. We live in a fantasy created by our egos to satisfy our will. Not the will of God, but the will we have imposed upon ourselves. If you are still following this podcast and reading this book, then you must believe in what it is suggesting. You must believe that we are living a dream and that our awakening will come when we have no stake in this dream. When we no longer attach any part of ourselves to it. So the first part on page 351 is called Bringing Fantasy to Truth. Giving it all over, letting go of all of our hurts, our negative beliefs in one another, our desire to seek revenge, everything. We give up this fantasy and truth will be its replacement. I don't want to say reward because we have it any time that we so choose it. It comes down to who are we most faithful to, our ego or our spirit? Which one is more important to you? Paragraph one says, the betrayal of the son of God lies only in illusions and all his sins are but his own imaginings. His reality is forever sinless. We need not be forgiven, but awaken. In his dreams, he has betrayed himself, his brother and his God. Yet what is done in dreams has not really been done. It is impossible to convince the dreamer that this is so. For dreams are what they are because of their illusion of reality. <clears throat> only in waking is the full release from them. For only then does it become perfectly apparent that they have no effect upon reality at all and did not change it. Fantasies change reality. That is their purpose. They cannot do so in reality, but they can do in the mind <clears throat> that would have reality be different. At the bottom of the page, paragraph four says, as long as you would have it so, so long will the illusion of an order of difficulty miracles remain for you. For you have established this order in reality by giving some of it to one teacher and some of it to another. The next page is, <clears throat> sorry, 253. In paragraph five, sentence two says, truth has no meaning in illusions. The frame of reference for its meaning must be itself. When you try to bring truth to illusions, you're trying to make illusions real and keep them by justifying your belief in them. But to give illusions to truth is to enable truth to teach that illusions are unreal and thus enable you to escape from them. Paragraph six, <clears throat> sentence three, be not concerned with anything except your willingness to have this be accomplished. He will accomplish it not for you. He will accomplish it, not you, sorry. But forget not this, when you become disturbed and lose your peace of mind because another is attempting to solve his problems through fantasy, you are refusing to forgive yourself for just this same attempt. The next part is called the forgiven world. <clears throat> I wrote, can you imagine how peaceful and unburdened you would feel if you forgave everyone and everything? I say thing because we hold things accountable for what they have done to us too. I've spoken to many people who say, I will never forgive him for that, or I'll never forgive her for that. 
Right there in those words, you said it was your burden, not theirs. You said, I, which means it is you who carries the burdens, not the other person. We mistakenly believe that our wrath or lack of contact or unwillingness to let go is going to be the payback to that other person. How? They can't feel what you're feeling, and their perception of this world differs from yours. So exactly how is your unwillingness to let it go going to make it right for you? Paragraph 1 says, Can you imagine how beautiful those who forgive will look to you? In no fantasy have you ever seen anything so lovely. Nothing you see here, sleeping or awake, comes near to such loveliness. Paragraph 2 at the bottom says, This loveliness is not fantasy. It is the real world, bright and, next page, 353, clean and new, with everything sparkling upon the, uh, sorry, under the open sun. Nothing is hidden here, for everything has been forgiven, and there are no fantasies to hide the truth. Paragraph 3 says, This step, the smallest ever taken, is still the greatest accomplishment of all in God's plan of atonement. All else is learned, but this is given, complete and wholly perfect. No one but him who plans salvation can complete it thus. The real world in its loveliness you learn to reach. Fantasies are all undone, and no one has nothing remain still bound by them, and by their own forgiveness you are free to see. Yet what you see is only what you made, and with the blessing of your forgiveness on it. Paragraph 5 at the bottom says, The real world is attained simply by the complete forgiveness of the old, the world you see without forgiveness. The great transformer of perception will undertake with you the careful searching of the mind that made this world and uncover to you the seeming reasons for your making it. Next page, which is page 354, paragraph 6 at the top says, All this beauty will rise to bless your sight as you look upon the world with forgiving eyes. For forgiveness literally transforms vision and lets you see the real world, reaching quietly and gently across chaos, removing all illusions that have been twisted, that had twisted your perception and fixed it on the past. The next section on that same page, 354, is called The Shadows of the Past. I wrote, The past casts many shadows on this present moment. They refer to shadow figures in this, section, in this section. The shadow figures are the memories, thoughts, and burdens you can't release. These things you let go round and round in your mind, hoping to see another angle or another option. You created them. You bring them with you. This is not being done to you. This is a choice you're making in this moment. Paragraph one says the forgiveness is merely to forgive is merely to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were given you. All the rest must be forgotten. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on selection. On the next page, 355. Paragraph 2, sentence 2, the shadow figures always speak for vengeance and all relationships into which they enter are totally insane without exception. These relationships have as their purpose the exclusion of truth about the other and of yourself. This is why you are in, this is why you see in both what is not there and make of both the slaves of, for vengeance. Uh, sentence 6 in that paragraph says, and finally, 
why all such relationships become attempts at union through the body, for only bodies can be seen as means for vengeance. That bodies are central to all unholy relationships is evident. Your own experience has taught you this. But what you may not realize are all the reasons that go with the relationship to go to make the relationship unholy. The unholiness seeks to reinforce itself as holiness does, but gathering to itself what is perceived as like itself. <clears throat> Sentence, uh, sorry, paragraph three says, in the unholy relationship is not the body of the other with which union is attempted, but the bodies of those who are not there. For even the bodies of the other, already a severely limited perception of him, is not the central focus as it is, or in, in, in entirety. What can be used for fantasy of vengeance, and what can be most readily associated with those on whom vengeance is really sought, is centered on and separated from as being the only parts of value. Every step taken, taken in the making, the maintaining, and the breaking off of the unholy relationship is a move towards further fragmentation and unreality. The shadow figures <clears throat> enter more and more, and the one in whom they seem to be decreases in importance. Paragraph 4 says, Time is indeed unkind to the unholy relationship, for time is cruel in the ego's hand, as it is, as it is kind when used for gentleness. Sentence... Five in that same paragraph says the ideal of the unholy relationship thus becomes one in which the reality of the other does not enter in at all to spoil the dream. And the less the other really brings to the relationship, the better it becomes. Next page, which is 356. So um, at the top, sentence two says what forgiveness is enables him to do him to do so. For all but loving thoughts have been forgotten, what remains is eternal. And the transformed past is made like the present. No longer does the present conflict with now. This continuity extends the present by increasing its reality and its value in your perception of it. The next part is uh, paragraph six. Says the ego seeks to resolve its problems, not at their source, but where they were made, where they were not made. And thus it seeks to guarantee there will be no solution. The Holy Spirit wants only to make his resolutions complete and perfect. And so he seeks and finds the source of the problems where it is and there undoes it. Sentence six says, all he perceives in separation is that it must be undone. Let him uncover the spark of beauty in your relationship and show it to you. Down at the bottom in paragraph seven, sentence four says, the spark of holiness must be safe, however hidden it may be in every relationship. For the creator of the one relationship has left no part of it without himself. This is the only part of the relationship the Holy Spirit sees because he knows this is knows only this to, to be true. You have made the relationship unreal and therefore unholy by seeing it where it is, it is not and as it is not. Give the past to him who can change your mind about it for you. The next page, 357, paragraph 5 says, The past becomes the justification for entering into continuing unholy alliance with the ego against the present. For the present is forgiveness. Therefore, the relationships the holy alliance dictates are not perceived or felt in the now. Paragraph 9 says, it is still up to you to choose to join with truth or with illusion. But remember that to choose one is to let go the other. 
which one you choose, you will endow with beauty and reality because the choice depends on which one you value more. <clears throat> so the next section at the bottom is called, and 357 is called the two pictures. And I actually, I'll read you my part. This refers to the frame of reference you choose in this world. This world is made up of bodies and they are the frames which hold our true selves, which are our spirits. A picture is an analogy used in this section, the frame of the picture being our bodies and the picture itself our spirits. If the frame is too glitzy, big, overdone, flashy, and expensive, then we may choose to put our emphasis on the frame, not the picture. If the holy instant is a miniature of heaven, then our focus needs to be on the picture, or we will not find peace and joy in this world. So on page 358, paragraph 2 says, In this world, it is possible, it is a, it is possible, oh, I can't even read this, it is impossible to create, yet it is possible to make happy. I have said repeatedly that the Holy Spirit would not deprive you of your special relationships, but would transform them. And all that is meant by that is that he will restore them to the function given them by God. The function you have given them is clearly not to make happy. But the holy relationship shares God's purpose rather than aiming to make a substitute for it. Every special relationship you have made is a substitute for God's will and glorifies yours instead of his because of the illusions that they are different. Paragraph 3, sentence 3 says, Every special relationship you have made has, as its fundamental purpose, the aim of occupying your mind so completely that you will not hear the call for truth. On the next page, which is page 359, paragraph 6 says, You have but little difficulty now in realizing that the thought system the special relationship protects is but a thought system of delusions. You recognize, at least in general terms, that the ego is insane. Yet the special relationship still seems to you somehow to be different. Yet we have looked at it far closer than any other many any other the many aspects of the ego's thought system that have been more willing you have been more willing to let go. While this one remains, you will not let the others go. For this one is not different. Retain this one and you will retain the whole. Paragraph nine at the bottom says, Look at the picture. Do not let the frame distract you. This gift is given you as for your damnation, and if you take it, you will be you will believe that you are damned. You cannot have the frame without the picture. What you value is the frame, for there you see no conflict. Yet the frame is only the wrapping of the gift of conflict. The frame is not the gift. Next page, which is page 360. Paragraph 11 says, The holy instant is a miniature of heaven, sent you from heaven. It is a picture too, set in a frame. Yet, if you accept this gift, you will not see the frame at all, because the gift can only be accepted through your willingness to focus all your attention on the picture. The holy instant is a miniature of eternity. It is the picture of timelessness, set in a frame of time. If you focus on the picture, you'll realize that it's only the frame that made you think it was a picture. Without the frame, the picture is seen as what it, it represents. For as the whole thought system of the ego lies in its gift, so the whole of heaven lies in the instant, borrowed from eternity and set in time for you. Next page, page 361. Paragraph 15 says, 
The picture of light is clear-cut and unmistakable contrast, is an unmistakable contrast, is transformed into what lies beyond the picture. As you look on this, you realize that it is not a picture, but a reality. This is no figured representation of a thought system, but the thought itself. What it represents is there. The frame fades gently, and God rises to your remembrance, offering you the whole of creation in exchange for your little picture, wholly without value and entirely deprived of meaning. The next section on page 362 is called the healed relationship. I wrote, once an unholy relationship is healed and shifted to a holy relationship, then the one before is gone. It can never be what it was. Even if you go back to your old ways, the constant reminder of it not being holy will be with you. If the shift is temporary, the ability to not remember what is to be will never leave you. The Kobayashi Maru keeps popping up in my mind. I wasn't a huge Star Trek fan, but I did watch a number of episodes. It was, the, it was a holodeck simulation, a test of good leadership and of ethical decision-making. It was designed to be a no-win situation. It was set up to see how Captain Kirk would deal with defeat and death. Yet he beat the test. How, you might ask, if you didn't watch the series. Some said, some said he cheated. He didn't know. He reprogrammed the test. He made it so it could be won. I think that this world is our Kobayashi Maru. The only way to make it out alive, and that's a meaning into the eternal, is to reprogram our brains so we win. The top uh, par of that uh, 362, paragraph one, says the holy relationship is the expression of the holy instant in, in, living, sorry, in living in this world. Paragraph 2 says the holy relationship, a major step towards the perception of the real world, is learned. It is the one unholy relationship transformed and seen anew. The holy relationship is a phenomenal teaching accomplishment in all its aspects as it begins, develops, and becomes accomplished. It represents the reversal of the unholy relationship. To be comforted in this, and the only difficult phase is the beginning. For here, the goal of the relationship is abruptly shifted to the exact opposite of what it was. This is the first result of offering the relationship to the Holy Spirit to use for his purposes. The next page, 363, paragraph 5, sentence 2 says, Only a radical shift in purpose could induce a complete change of mind about what the whole relationship is for. As this change develops and is finally accomplished, it grows increasingly beneficent and joyous. But at the beginning, the situation you experience is very precocious. A relationship undertaken by two individuals for their unholy purposes suddenly has holiness for its goal. As these two contemplate the relationship from, the point of, from this point of view of this purpose, they are inevitably appalled. Their perception of the relationship may even become quite disorganized. And yet the former organization of their perception no longer serves the purpose they've agreed to meet. Paragraph six says, six says, this is the time for faith. You let this goal be set for you that an, that was an act of faith. Do not abandon faith now that the rewards of faith are being introduced. If you believe the Holy Spirit was there to accept the relationship, why would you now still not believe that he is there to purify what he has taken under his guidance? Paragraph eight at the bottom says, 
Accept with gladness what you do not understand. And let it, next page, 364, let it be explained to you as you perceive its purpose. Work in it to make it holy. Um, sentence three says, a sense of aimlessness will come to haunt you and to remind you of all the ways that you once sought for satisfaction and thought you found it. Forget not now the misery you really found and do not breathe life into your failing ego for your relationship has been disrupted. It has been saved. Paragraph 11 says you undertook together to invite the Holy Spirit into your relationship. He could not have entered otherwise. Although you may have made many mistakes since then, you've also made enormous efforts to help him do his work. Paragraph 12 at the bottom says, The experience of an instant, however compelling it may be, is, next page, 365, easily forgotten if you allow time to close over it. It must be kept shining and gracious in your awareness of time, but not concealed within it. The instant remains. But where are you? To give thanks to your brother is to appreciate the holy instant and thus enable its results to be accepted and shared. To attack your brother is to not is not to lose the instant, but to make it powerless in its effects. The next part is setting the goal. I wrote, what do I want to come of this? What is it for? These are questions you should ask yourself in every situation where you are unsure. If you go into something with no specific goal or intention, and it just seems to happen, it won't make any sense. Then you will go over and over it to make sense of it. And every time you will be wrong. Why? Because you have no idea of what should happen. No goal was set in which to bring it in line with what you wanted. The absence of a desired outcome set in advance makes understanding doubtful and evaluation impossible. It also points to the reality that nothing happens for no reason. You made an, you made an intention, whether consciously or not, and the outcome was presented to you. Before doing any anything else, go back to the first two questions. What do I want to come out of this? What is it for? The practical application, sorry, paragraph one at the bottom, the practical application of the Holy Spirit's purpose is extremely simple, but it is unequivocal. In fact, in order to be simple, it must be unequivocal. The simple is merely what is easily understood, and for this, it is apparent that it must be clear. Next page, which is page 366. Paragraph three says, without a clear-cut positive goal set at the onset, the situation just seems to happen and makes no sense until it has already happened. Then you look back at it and try to piece together what it must have meant. Sentence five says, no goal was set with which to bring the means in line. And now the only judgment left to make is whether or not the ego likes it. Is it acceptable or does it call for vengeance? The absence of a criterion for outcome set in advance makes understanding doubtful and evaluation impossible. Paragraph four says the value of deciding in advance what you want to happen is simply that you will perceive the situation as a means to make it happen. Paragraph six on the next page, 367 says the goal of truth requires faith. Faith is implicit in the acceptance of the Holy Spirit's purpose. And this faith is all inclusive. The next section at the bottom of page 367 is called the call for faith. I wrote, faith is a universal belief that all things are as they should be. So many of us struggle with this. 
problems become problems for us because of lack of faith. Lack of faith is also the reason we cannot resolve our problems. Paragraph one says, the substitutes for aspects of the situation are the witnesses to your lack of faith. They demonstrate that you did not believe the situation and the problem were in the same place. The problem was the lack of faith, and it is this you demonstrate when you remove it from its source and place it elsewhere. As a result, you do not see the problem. Next page, 368. Paragraph 2 says, There is no problem in any situation that faith will not solve. There is no shift in any aspect of the problem, but will make solution impossible. For if you shift part of the problem elsewhere, the meaning of the problem must be lost. And the solution to the problem is inherent in its meaning. It is not possible. Is it not possible that all your problems have been solved, but you have removed yourself from the solution? Paragraph four says, only what you have given can be lacking in any situation. Only what you have not given can be lacking in any situation. But remember this, the goal of holiness was set in your relationship and not by you. You did not set it because holiness can be seen except through faith and your relationship was not holy because your faith in your brother was so limited and little. Your faith must grow to meet the goal that has been set. The goal's reality will call this forth for you will see that peace and faith will not come separately. Paragraph 6 on the next page, 369, sentence 4 says, no relationship is holy unless its goal holiness goes with it everywhere. As holiness and faith go hand in hand, so must its faith in everything go with it. The re goal's reality will call forth and accomplish every miracle needed for its fulfillment. Nothing too small or too enormous, too weak or too compelling, but will be gently turned to its use and purpose. The universe will serve it gladly as it serves the universe, but do not interfere. Paragraph 8, sentence 11 says, There is no situation that does not involve your whole relationship in every aspect and complete in every part. As you leave nothing for, of yourself outside it and keep the situation holy, for it shares the purpose of your whole relationship and derives its meaning from it. On the next page, which is page 370, the conditions of peace. The conditions of peace. The conditions for peace is to live in this moment. It is the holy instant in every instant of our lives in this world. I am always chanting in my mind the words, extend, extend, extend. I am looking at every moment as a moment for extension. I'm doing it right now. Paragraph one says the holy instant is nothing more than a special case or an extreme example of what every situation is meant to be. Sentence four says the holy instant is the shining example, the clear and unequivocal demonstration of the meaning of every relationship and every situation seen as whole. Paragraph two says the this simple courtesy is all the Holy Spirit asks of you. Let truth be what it is. Do not intrude upon it. Do not attack it. Do not interrupt or disrupt. No, it is interrupt. <laughs> it's coming. And the last thing I wanted to add in this is on the next page, 371, paragraph 6 says, When you accept truth as the goal for your relationship, you became 
a giver of peace as surely as your father gave peace to you. For the goal of peace cannot be accepted apart from its conditions, and you had faith in it, for no one accepts what he does not believe is real. Your purpose has not changed and will not change, for you accepted what can never change. Well, that is the end of chapter 18, or yeah, no, I'm sorry, 17 of A Course in Miracles. We are officially halfway through the text. I'm totally loving this journey and have accepted it for myself. I'm the happiest when I'm writing this script for my podcast and uploading a chapter. I have never been so sure of anything in all my life as I am of this. This is our journey. Keep finding your way. Have a peace-filled week. And until next week, always love, Denise.